Thank you for tuning in to the How We Interview podcast. In this episode, I talked to Unki Patak. He leads employer brand at Spring Health. We had a wonderful conversation. Uh, we, we talked about his journey. Uh, we, we talked about kind of the importance of uh, DE&I in, in the efforts you do and how Spring Health really uh, approaches transparency and, and almost giving not too much, but just the right amount of information to candidates up front so they can make a decision, you know, if they want to click that apply button. Um, we talked about where the industry is going, what kind of things he would like to see and what he has on his to-do list for 2024 and beyond. With that, enjoy. Awesome. Unki, thank you for joining the How We Interview podcast today. You, you and I actually first met uh, after we initially launched the podcast and we were talking back and forth. Um, about your background and how you got into employer brand. And uh, I think we both thought it was a great opportunity to bring your voice uh, forward and, and and have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining. Yeah, no problem, Aaron. Uh, thanks for creating a space uh, for practitioners like us and those who maybe want to get into this career, want to know what it's like. Um, I know I wish I had more of this when I was coming up in this space, you know, seven, eight years ago, we, we talked about, you know, one of our friends, uh, James Ellis, who is a practitioner and a leader in this space. He was one of the only ones now. So it's, it's crazy to come back, you know, seven, eight, 10 years later in my career and now be like, oh, I could be one of those voices that someone listens to in a few years time says, oh, I know who you are. So thank you for creating that space. I think it's important because um, there's there's not a lot of us around. And I think it's important that we have a community and, you, and thank you for building and extending that. Well, God, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being on. Um, like you said, we we spent some time talking about your background. I, I'd love for, for the listeners, if you can just kind of walk through your, your journey to get you uh, to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, to the listeners, if I, if I take my time here, I have an iPad, I'm taking some notes. So uh, bear with me. You can speed it up to 1.25x or automate it however you need. Um, so that said, my background. Uh, so I have a, I'll go to college. I, I'm, I was born 92. So I might be like, people are mad. I'm saying that other people are like, Oh my God, he's still old. Some are like, Oh my God, he's my age. So I'm trying to hit pick, pick a lane guys. Um, but I started off with a degree in marketing and I was like, oh, I want to be in this space. Apple has been one of my favorite brands. Didn't work out. I didn't get like a marketing coordinator job I wanted. And then uh, I ended up in recruiting uh, at a back office, uh, a company called Tech Systems, um, huge company. Um, they're on the end user side, they're on the technology side, they're on the product side as well. So I started out there um, as an intern and I was like, okay, like people are like, hey, you have the personality to talk. You can sell, you can talk for a long time. I did that for two and a half years. I got some really incredible um, mentorship from from a few people over there, uh, Anthony and and Jason, um, on how to just like be a professional. How to like uh, Anthony used to tell me all the time, and um, I, I still tell myself, don't grip the bat too tight. Um, and what that meant was, you know, try and be yourself. Um, and I found that recruiting the labs, we loved it, and finding the people that were there, I cared really about their stories at the end of the day. So after two and a half years of doing that, I, uh, I was able to uh, find a role at a small software company um, here in Chicago, where I'm from. Um, so employer brand recruitment marketing were not a thing. If you Googled it, there was probably literally nothing out there at that point. Um, so I did that. And then now, what, five, six years later, I have three jobs in this space. I work for a company in the mental health industry now, and now employer brand and recruitment marketing is one of the biggest priorities for uh, CHROs or CPOs, um, which again, if you told me 10 years ago, I was fighting for $20 a month to get Canva at that time, and now I have budget to do what I want in the tens of thousands. So um, crazy to think about, but it's I think it's it's well needed, um, and 
and I'm excited to see where we go in the next five to six years in this space because um, I think it's it's just going to be needed more and more in different ways. Yeah, thank you for that. It's interesting. If you talk to 100 employer brand leaders, typically they come from one of two camps. One is they have a marketing background. The other is they have a recruiting background. You have both, which is really unique. Um, I, I love to talk about, you mentioned it, and I think that's worth digging into, is this need you have as a, as a storyteller, um, you, you know, like your ability to be able to kind of lack of a better word, imbue your company's values into meaningful content that, you know, can act as a hook or, or an attractor for candidates? Yeah, um, I think it comes from a place of always wanting to explain. Um, and we won't go that deep into that right now. Um, but I think there's a real importance in that. And then I think a second component for me that really hits home is representation. Our stories give representation to who we are, whatever community we come from. And oftentimes I felt like growing up where I did, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago where I was the only person who looked like how I look. And for the listeners, uh, I'm first generation Indian, um, born um, or American born, but my family is from India. So I don't have a lot of people who around me who look like that. So when I got into this space, it also can feel like that. And again, that's not inherently bad. No one's trying to do that on purpose. But I think the storytelling aspect gave voice. So I was able to give people a voice who maybe didn't see that in themselves or maybe didn't know how to do that. And I was able to direct them in a way to tell those stories. And that was really meaningful. I also got to know people and I got to know their humanity. A lot of times in recruiting we think about butts and seats. That's all we think about. Um, now, employer brand's a little bit different. That's where you bring a little, like the empathy into it, I think, which is really important. It's, it's come a long way since I started. Um, but I think that's the second component. Yeah, the, the representation those stories gave, they're just really powerful. Um, and I think that sheds a light to who the people are at these works. Like the companies are really important. They give you good pay, hopefully good benefits that take care of you, your family, and hopefully for your, your long-term health as well. But at the end of the day, you want to be work around people who have similar stories or you can relate to. And it's really hard to come to show up at work if you don't know those stories or if they're not shared externally in some format. Yeah. And I, and I think as, as kind of the voice for our employer brands, I, I think where our roles get very challenging you wake up one morning and you realize the story you have to tell is not aligned with you are you personally, right? So we, we've both worked a few places and and that is not the kind of thing that happens overnight. Um, maybe your organization has changed. I, I worked for an organization that just over time, the changes were so minimal. You look back and you just realize how stark they are. Like this is not at all the place, the, the place that I felt so much affection for. And then as the lead storyteller, you're telling a story you don't have to agree necessarily but you've got to believe it it's got to be accurate you know it's all the things like an employer brand 101 you ever get yourself in a situation where you're like the story wasn't aligned with who you are or what the organization actually was yeah i think when you when you're younger in your career um now i'm speaking to a bit of the younger audience and, and old uh, the younger soul and our listeners here but when you're younger you want to do everything and everything you want to learn you want to grow and you want to do it at a really fast scale but that's just not how life typically happens so you have to be extremely patient with that so my first role was at a uh, technology company that sold uh white label software to insurance companies 
just leave it there. Any of our listeners excited that excited about it? Probably not. But you have to convince yourself at a certain point, this is what it is. And that's when it was, hey, what's the second layer? And then it was the people and then it was their stories and giving them a voice, right? And trying to bring that all the way back. So I definitely felt that um, my, my second role in this space, you know, I was lucky enough to work for one of the largest uh, mortgage lenders here in the US, Rocket Mortgage. Um, that was an incredible two and a half years of so much growth and so much learning and process. Um, and by the time two years came in, I was like, I'm kind of, I, I definitely believed in, it. I thought it was very important. It's important to have home ownership, right? It's not, not important, but then I saw what was happening also in the economy and what happened in 2020 to 2022 with the world and mental health and what I was going through in my personal life. And I was like, okay, this isn't hitting where I want it to hit as much. I had to, I had to find way more reason. And those reasons weren't coming up for me in my day to day and my week to week enough. And then I found a mission now here at Spring Health where it's mental health. Our mission is all about breaking every barrier to mental health. And for me, I identify that as an individual. So when work gets really, really hard and it does in hyper growth startups, I'm really able to orient my way back. And I know that's not the situation for everyone. It, again, for the listeners, it took me three jobs and 10 years to get to this type of mission orientation. So it does not happen. And if it does for you, that's incredible. But you're gonna you're gonna grow. Um, and you, your companies you're with and the leaders you're with have to grow with it. But yeah, I've definitely felt that. And I expect that'll happen maybe a few times more in my career because um, that's just the cadence it's been. Yeah. And we we talked about this in our in our intro when we, we were talking back and forth. Um, Spring Health and the commitment to, to mental health. And we it's not funny, but it's true that it, a lot of times applying for roles, interviewing for jobs, in this market, for sure, really in any market is not something that I would consider a mentally healthy activity. I, I would love it if you could talk a little bit about how your organization kind of lives their values through the interviewing process or the, you know, kind of how you you care for applicants from, from you know, that first apply all the way through to onboarding. Yeah, I think it's been an evolution. So I think context is everything. So the company is seven years old, seven and a half. So we're just a little baby, right? We grew from 60 people in January, 2020. Um, and now our founders, Adam and April, have, uh, along with a lot of other incredible people, have scaled the organization to a thousand people by year end. That is a, I don't even know what that is. That's a 70X. Like, what is that? Someone yeah. someone go through their calculator app and do this and, get, and, and message me on LinkedIn. Um, but that's just crazy. So I came in last July, uh, July 2022, and now we're I'm 16 to 17 months in. We've 50% increased our headcount in that time already. Um, so that said, I mental health is really important to me. That's why I came to this company and to this mission. And I think recruiting, like you said, and applying to jobs is not fun. Applying to jobs is a job. So you are likely either working, you are laid off, or if you're really fortunate, you're in between and it's not affecting your livelihood. Um, and then you are applying to jobs, right? And that is really hard, um, especially now that everyone knows how to use LinkedIn and network and AI is now there. There's more bots. What I really tried to do is simplify the process. So I came in, we just had one job where we didn't even have a career website, but I knew we needed storytelling. So what we did is we got a partnership um, with Greenhouse, which is our ATS. And then we worked with marketing to create a V1 of our website. What I wanted to do ensure is when someone saw our job, they saw our benefits, they saw our pay, they saw what we cared about DEI, and they could apply all in one singular page. 
I did not want a tab open. I didn't want a new window to open or the same window and you get lost. I wanted to be very specific in what we shared there because at the end of the day, what do people care about? What am I getting paid? What are my benefits? Is this remote or is this not remote? And can I apply really quickly without having to just upload a resume and be done with it and move on to the next one? I wanted to create a lack of friction. We were, we were able to do that. And we get an average of, based on our mission and that ease and the pay and equity that we have, um, not just equity in terms of like finance stuff, but equity in terms of like mental health and caring about a mission-led organization, we get 500 applicants. I'm not going to say like that one tactic we took is the reason that happened, but I do think that helps things. Now that creates another problem for our recruiters, but I would rather have that problem of too many applicants, which I've never had at any other company before here. It's not a problem. It's just a lot to go through for our team. Um, I think that was really important. And then to this day, we continue to embed DEI into our language, hey, transparency, which I think everyone just should just do. We're all human beings. We all need to know what we're worth at the end of the day. Um, and then talking about our benefits, like people don't want to necessarily read a ton. They just want to know the high-level bullet points. That's why PowerPoints exist. That's why SparkNotes exist. And that's why people listen to podcasts on 1.5x speed. Um, so I think that that's what we've done and we continue to iterate on that. Um, but it's it has been hard because we get a lot of people who message. All the recruiters get messages on LinkedIn. And it's tough because there's one job opening for an average of 500 applicants and you want to help people out. Um, but we've also tried to do is show people, hey, this is not you. Look at how many applicants we got in this job. Um, I've actually had people message me. I take a screenshot of our greenhouse um, and, and remove whatever I need to remove. I show them, hey, look at historically in the last two weeks how many applicants we got from this job. This is not because of you. This is just what the market conditions are for us in our space. So like, I will help you how you need help. But just know like this one, this one rejection is not who you are. Um, and then I think another third component is empathy in your communications. Everyone has gotten the, you've been denied, bye-bye, okay, delete, archive, oh, or, or you're, you're hurt and you reply something that you maybe wouldn't do in, in another time. Um, I think empathy in communications is really important. Letting people know like, hey, this was not just because of like you, like we have all, I think again, context is really important. So that was a lot that was there. Um, I know some listeners might have to go back 30 seconds and really listen to some of that, but I think those are the the key components there of removing the friction, being really honest and transparent right right out of the um, right out of the gate, and then empathy in your communications. Those are the three things I, I cared about when I came in and I continue to amplify to to what we do now and what we do as we grow as and scale as an organization. This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Riembi. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with Reimbi. Reimbi streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reimbi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reimbi can help your team, visit Reimbi.com. That's Reimbi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. Yeah, I mean, explosive growth that, that you all have seen. And, and you mentioned, you know, 500 applicants per job. 
if it's 500 of the right applicants or 500 of well-informed, of the most well-informed applicants, it, it could be 1,500, it could be 2,000. And so I think the work that you all put in to remove any mystery or any lack of transparency in the process is is, is really should be industry standard, right? You should have basically everything you'd ever need to know about a job before you click apply. And then when you click apply, not having to set up a profile, you know, having parsing technology that doesn't work, where you've got to copy and paste everything, all these different things. I think a lot of companies just, they just kind of skim over those details. Um, and I think it comes down to, and I love your thoughts on this, is in your role, in roles I've been in the past, right? We we Do you either serve the hiring managers or do you serve the candidates? I, I would argue that you, you're a steward of the candidate journey while also meeting the needs of the hiring managers. I'm not sure... 100% of hiring managers know and or care what the candidate journey is. They just want the best candidate they can get. I'd love to hear how you balance that day in, day out. Yeah, um, I think I bring myself a lot into this. Um, I, I think about the candidate first and foremost. Being Having recruited for two and a half years, I saw how salesy it was. I saw how exhausting it could be for the individual who gets so many calls from a back office recruiter, and they're all competing for your attention, taking you to coffee and lunch. Again, that's a certain... Per- I don't know what the actual percentage is, but I saw that and I didn't, I thought about the candidate like, man, this, I would be really annoyed. I don't know who I'd want to work with in this situation. Cause it's like, I'm just, I'm just a dollar sign or not just a dollar sign, but like, I'm, I'm getting all this attention, but I actually don't want it. So I would say the candidate is, is where I uh, lean into it. Like my hiring manager is so incredibly important. Recruiting is a team sport. And I will say it again, recruiting is a team sport. So you have to have alignment with your hiring managers at the end of the day. Um, but the candidate is the one going through the journey. The hiring manager is already here. And typically, what are they asking? They're trying to fit, fit, a, fit a role or see potential growth in someone. And though they do care about it, they also have you know 40 to 50 hours of work to do on top of hiring. So I think for them, hiring managers might even say, hey, make it as easy as a process as you can while hiring the right and attracting the right people. But I got to trust the hiring manager to make the decision once they get let go, right? I attract and a certain part of employer brand is retaining as well. But once they get to rack ops on our team or talent acquisition, and they go through that journey, I can add processes and some new steps in and communications. But that is on me and the team to have a trust with each other of like, hey, I handed this off. I did my portion. You own it from here. And you guys got to make a decision for yourself. I've been at companies where hiring managers are the sole stakeholder. I haven't loved that either because then it feels like they are the main decision maker. And I think you need to figure out how you come up to the problem as a team and not as an individual, because at the end of the day, it's a usually a large organization that you're serving, not just one other person. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's so well said and it's super important. It, it's it, You can't ignore one or the other. I mean, companies that ignore candidates can't hire. Um, recruiters that ignore hiring managers, that doesn't go anywhere. So it's really a delicate balance you need to achieve. You mentioned earlier in talking about, and you have a marketing and communications background, talking about um, not only creating a friction-free process for candidates, but also paying key attention to what you were saying to candidates and how you were saying it. I'd love to talk about that a bit. And the reason I bring this up is this. Um, In our back and forth in, in setting this time up to speak to one another. I paid very special attention to like um, 
some of the, the information in the footer of your email signature or your out of office messages. And then I'm, I did a bit of a deep dive. This is going to sound creepy, but bear with me for a sec. I went to your website and I looked at the copy on your crew site, which is very unique. It's very transparent and it's very caring. I looked at your job descriptions, much like you said, not only does it have all the information, which is amazing, it's how the information is presented, laid out, and the tone that the messaging takes. I'm guessing this all came from your pen. I'd love to talk about, you know, A, how do you get buy-in for something like that? Because Spring Health talks about their roles, what it means to work there, their benefits, and really what it means, like what the entire package is all about in a very different way than anybody else understands. I'd love to talk about how you got there. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's crazy for me is like, you talk, uh, if we want to continue with the analogy of like art, um, my leader, Rachel, shout out, Rachel. I know you're going to listen to this one time. Appreciate you. Um, Rachel, she, she lets me be who I am and she knows what she is a SMEA and she, she, she let me come and be a SME at this. Like I'm a subject matter expert. I get in the weeds. I know what I want. I know what other people want. Uh, so much of, of what we do is psychology and us creating a psychological state, not safety, but creating like a psychologically like comfortable process or communication with, with empathy is, is critically important. So I had that, I've been wanting to do that. Um, but it was hard to do it at scale with the other organizations I was at, not because they didn't believe in that, not because they're not good people. It was just harder to do here. I was the first person doing this employer brand lead job. No one had ever done it here. So I got really lucky with the timing. And we again, we didn't have a career website. It was just a lever job board. So like we've had to grow a lot. So any it was I don't want to say it's low-hanging fruit because if it was low-hanging fruit, I would have just automated everything. But I wanted to be really intentional because this isn't brand is not just like six months and what my headcount is this year brand is forever right there's a reason the nike logo has been what it is for so long and they've iterated but their mission has been core to who they are along with their values and what felt like created there and i think that's important for us especially when we're mission-led like nike is a shoe it's a sweatshirt but it stands for motion it stands for action we also stand for that and if we're doing that in our product and our services and our mission, we have to do that and showcase that to our candidates. That, hey, we are this way. You also need to reflect that. Um, so long way of saying I was able to do what I wanted to do, but I also thought the mission really needed that. And if we didn't show that here in like the first step, then when are we going to be able to show it? It's kind of too late at that point. And I wanted to make sure we showed it there because that is culture. If it's there on that first step, then it has to cascade throughout the rest of the organization. And I'm kind of influencing culture. Like, hey, we're saying this. So we kind of got to do it, you guys. You know, it's a weird way of influencing. But I was like, in five years, I think we'll be really happy we did this. Well, I think what's great is, is you're building things from the ground up. I'll, I'll use the analogy of building a house. It, it's really the notion of building a house you'd want to live in yourself. And and to me, it feels like you're, you're doing that very thing. You mentioned... Um, being able to be who you are or having that freedom to be who you are. you If you're going to work an employer brand or, or recruiting or talent acquisition for that matter, you've got to care about people because you're in the people business. I say this all the time. I'd love to talk about, and you mentioned a little bit earlier about when you were when you were laying out your career site, uh, the importance of DE&I as you're building out your page and how you were bringing that front and forward. I'd love to talk about how you did that. Um, you know, not the why, because like we all get the why, but like, 
What have you seen since you've made that such a large part of Spring Health's employer brand values? Yeah, um, I was lucky enough to come into um, a very robust DNI practice. Um, Michelle Rojas, our associate director of DNI, um, had started the April before I, I came in, I believe, and then our CPO, Krishma, had come in, and they were just an incredible foundation. Um, and it was also part of who they were. Um, and I think that was really important as well. Like they were like, Hey, this is not a non, this is a non-negotiable. This is just going to be who we are because it is who we are. If we're serving, you know, millions of people with therapy, medication management and coaching, they all come from different places and experiences. We have to serve those communities internally while we serve our members across the globe. So I came into something that was really robust. I was able to tell that story. So I have to give credit there. There was something that was built. I was able to share it externally in a way that matched up with what uh, Michelle and her her her, uh, her organization's goals were um, and what she wanted to do. So we did that. And then something really recently that I've actually learned from, I believe it was Michelle or Rachel, was D&I, good, not, not just D&I, anything that's really good, if you like watch a movie or a TV show or listen to a good podcast, certain themes just tend to fade into the background. And... I, I pause there because like DNI, it's not like this specialty thing of like it's an aspect. It's part of the D- the different strands of the DNA helix of what your organization should be. So it should just at one point blend into who you are. So yes, we do have a DNI page, but it's like not there to just talk about. It. It's like, hey, how does this impact our members? How does this impact who we hire? How are we intentional about who we hire in the candidate process and who applies? And then we've added some other components of like something called DEI coffee chats. I built out a brand new process where I saw there wasn't enough representation yet in our interview loops. So I said, hey, let's do this in an unofficial capacity. So we created a new process where after someone goes to the hiring manager conversation, if the hiring manager says yes, they then get the option, the candidate gets an option to talk to someone from our ERG leads or a DNI task force for 15 minutes. It doesn't count against them, it doesn't count for them. It's all about the candidate. So that's just part of our DNA now, right? Like we did version one on that. We're now expanding that specifically to our technology org who want more representation um, when there is interviews. Um, For example, like we're talking to a lot of the women in technology because they're like, hey, I'd love to know what it feels like to be like that. Because if you tell someone, hey, it's going to be like this, they're not as mad when they get there and it's actually like that versus you don't tell them they're going to be upset. So again, I was just able to come in and build things from the ground up I had some things that were a lot of things I've already created and I was able to amplify these other things. And I, I think the fading into the background is really important there because then it's still existing. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get turned on when it's convenient. It's part of this. And I think that's where we really want to be. If this is just who we are, like it's not political and I don't even believe it ever should be, but like, it's not like that. It's not to, to be woke or anything like all those adages you hear on snippets you see on headlines sometimes like it's not to be that it's just this is just who we are right like we're a world of different people and we want to represent the world that we truly live in at a global scale yeah i mean it's kind of a spicy take organizations come in a variety of different flavors in in regards to how they treat belonging in the workplace there's some that that don't value diversity and 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 they don't say that they do And, and be fine. There are some that do value diversity, but are terrified about sharing it because of any number of values. That's probably almost worse than the first example. And then there's in your those your situation. I love the DNA analogy. 
belonging is in the DNA of your organization and you have the freedom to share it. Now, to me, that's where the, the magic happens and that's where, 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 you know, everybody should attain to be. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to add to like, and when you get on these podcasts, when I've listened to these types of things, um, as a user, it's like, Oh, this is perfect. Like, this is so cool. I want to be able to play. Like, it's not like we're still growing. Like we have a DNI report we put out every year. Thanks to Michelle. Um, we're going to do a new one for 2024. We're still working on things. So like for the audience, like, I don't want it to feel like, oh, this is so hard. There's like, this should exist everywhere. Like it should, but like, we're still on our own growth journey. We're not where Michelle wants to be. We're probably not where I want to be in telling the stories and the representation we have. And that's okay. But you have to be on the path of like going in a proper direction. You don't want to be off like on a ways trajectory. That's like a totally different direction and adding too much time to your commute. You want to be on the right trajectory and we're there while we have issues that still come up in the road. And there's still things I want to do that I can't do. So it's not a hundred percent, but just want to, for the practitioners listening, like, no, like I'm very lucky, but there are still so many growing pains like that. You still go through even in this type of environment. Yeah. I don't feel like, like so many other aspects of our jobs, uh, D and I is the kind of thing where like one day you wake up and like, oh, we nailed this. Like we literally don't need to do anything else. The world around us isn't going to change at all, it, you know, and we have no reason to have to evolve with what's happening. It's just never going to be that way. It's a living, breathing thing that needs to be cared for. It needs to be loved. It needs to be, and it, it needs to be communicated and overcommitted again and again until to your point, it becomes part of the bones of your company. Yeah. And I think in startup spaces as well, um, it's a new company every six to 12 months. Yeah. So you have to also like know that, right? Like we can be empathetic, we can be open, we can be diverse, we can be transparent, but also, hey, this is, we're also going to be different every six months. So like you might really enjoy it for six months and there might be some growing pains, but then you might like it on the other end, at, you know, with your last 18 months or it may just not be for you. And I think that's also a component of like, being real um, is another thing I think in these communications is like, hey, this is where we are at, but this is what we are doing. Um, that's something we really focus on here is like, this is our outcome currently, this is our baseline, but this is what we're creating and programming or in, to have an impact so it's better in the future. We're very intentional about talking about that. And that's, I think, that's where tra the transparency comes in. We're not afraid to say we're not doing something as well as we could be. Yeah, that's that's the side of talent attraction that nobody ever talks about. Is it's there, there's an art to attracting talent, but there's also a, like a dark art of repelling talent that either they wouldn't be a good fit for your organization, they wouldn't be happy there, they're not value aligned. Um, it, it just isn't a good fit. Nobody talks about that second part. I, I there's probably money to be made for agencies that can help you repel talent instead of attract talent. I know it's kind of counter and it's completely different than what you and I want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. But you talk about 500 apps per rack. I've worked in organizations that were anywhere from 1,000, 1,500 applicants per open requisition. There's something to be said for like lightening the load on your recruiting team and also respecting the time of candidates, knowing that not everybody's gonna be a good fit, or this just isn't the right place for everyone. I mean, it's that's just the nature of of the work, the work world we live in. Yeah, I mean, you the, the book Give and Get Employer Branding, right? That came out a few years ago, like attract a few, repel the many, like that. Like I should get a tattoo of that. I think a few, a lot of us should do that. Maybe we should do that at a conference one day. I'm sure yeah, Charlotte and Brian. I'm 100 percent down. Yeah, we'll just we'll get it right there. <laughs>
Yeah, Brian and Adam, uh, Brian and uh, Brian Adams and Charlotte will, will probably absolutely love that. We'll have to send some content, but yeah, I, I think that's true. Like, I I struggle with that though too. Like you said, five hundred people, and like I think that's where the empathy comes in. They're like, hey, I I know you want to be here. I believe in that. We believe in you, but it's just there's a timing, right? Like it, there's a time and place sometimes. And I think if you give that empathy to candidates, they'll then be more empathetic with themselves. With like, and again, I think our mission is not just to do this at work, but it's to do that with other other parts of it, right? There should be part of that DNA. If it's the communications, hey, like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, this wasn't you. This was actually, like, us. But, like, keep going, you know? Like, keep keep going at it. But, yeah, it's a hard one. It's I've never heard a hiring manager or a hiring leader say, hey, give me less applicants. They're like, oh, wow, that's actually too much. But... I don't well, when get someone on this podcast Aaron that figures that out. I will be listening and sharing it like crazy. I would love to know. Um, I would love to know how someone manages manages that. It's a delicate balance. It, it is. Um, given you know the growth of your organization and, and all the things you're trying to do in your you know your day job, so to speak. What's like the next thing that you're looking to tackle? Not only for your employer, but like something that is of great interest for you and, and and you and the role you play in like the larger employer brand community, what are you looking to tackle next uh, in this space? Um, I think personally for me, and I, I've been, I was able to get freedom to own scope for a brand new uh, set of three to four videos we're creating for our employer brand. I think it's just understanding um, the relationship between wanting to and having the freedom and then understanding like business reasoning. Um, and I know like to the younger audience, they're like, yeah, whatever, dude, shut up, man. Um, but like, I, I do mean that, like, I want to understand the business reasoning, but I think that that helps me grow um, and meet C-level, VP, SVP level, board people, like kind of where they are. Um, not exactly where they are, um, but like, I want to, I want to do that. Um, and I think in this space, specifically in an employer brand, I think there's, there's a lot of incredible voices that are there. But again, coming back to the DNI part, I want DNI to be part of like the representation we have in this space. And the employer brand space actually has a ton of it. When I was at um, uh, uh, Talent Brand Alliance last year, I got went to my first one and I spoke there. I actually was really impressed with the amount of people I saw who were from diverse communities. It wasn't where it needs to be, but it's just like we said at Spring Hill, it's not where, it's never going to always be where we want it to be because it's forever evolving. Um, so I think that's really important for me um, to be a voice in this space and show people in my community, like there's stereotypes of careers that people can have, but we are more than the stereotypes that people have of us and that we have of ourselves a lot of the time. Uh, I don't know any people, I don't know a lot of people who look like me who went into recruiting, who went into marketing, marketing is a little bit more now, but who went, ended up in this like niche space. Um, and I create, uh, I want to create that type of like re representation um, for the people who are coming into this space. And also like I changed careers two times, you know, like that's, that's a lot. Like I want to show like we can be agile in this space and it's not, that you do something like for you, if podcaster was going to be on your LinkedIn, you know, six, seven years ago or on your resume, you know, that that's crazy, but it's, you're, you're able to do it. You're able to be, accomplish a lot more than you think. So I think those are really critically important. Um, one last thing is trying to understand what the heck AI is going to do for us. Um, I know there's a lot of companies trying to figure it out. That's just always in the back of my head, um, how to work with it and use it right now to my advantage um, and how to create easy, easier work, not easier work, but like, how can I do more with less time? 
um, in, in a meaningful way. I think that's that's just the industry, though. I think we won't have we won't have that figured out for uh, a few years unless AI tells us how to do it, and it probably will. So who knows? It, it's uh, there's a lot of like fear mongering about how AI is going to completely annihilate the recruiting industry. And and I said I'm going to get this tattooed. We're in a people business, and and AI is not going to replace kind of the hearts and minds of the recruiting communities that that we work in, or the employer brand, or the storytelling that we're taking part. That said, those people that learn how to leverage it to make themselves more efficient, I don't know how many times I've been trying to write a job description or a brief or or a campaign and I'm stuck. And all I needed was a thought starter from a chat GPT prompt and I was off to the races. And and, and so, um, it, you know, learning how to use it for, for the better good versus turning your back on it for the fear it's going to overtake the industry, I think is going to be huge. And Keith, I, I appreciate your time. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I love everything you're doing at Spring Health. And all of that's the way you're doing it and just kind of the positivity and the thoughtfulness and the care you bring to the industry. You know, the, the, we just can't have enough of that, especially in the market that we're in now. And then this will not last forever, but, but I absolutely uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this and sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Yeah, again, I said at the beginning, um, so I'll only say it one more time. Thanks for creating a space um, for people to take up and talk. I think this conversation is the most important thing we need to have in our lives with all the contacts in the world to uh, meet each other where we're at. So I appreciate it. Um, for anyone listening, if you want to get connected with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Ankit, A-N-K-I-T. Last name is Spatak, P-A-T-H-A-K. Uh, just let me know you listen to this podcast so then I can tell Aaron, hey, someone reached out to me and they listen to this podcast too. Um, but yeah, let me know if you have any questions. Happy to connect um, and help out however I can. But again, thanks for creating the space. Um, and hopefully I didn't mumble too much. I'm excited to uh, listen back on this one and see when I'm like, oh, damn, I talked too much there, didn't I? But um, thanks, Aaron. That's why I have you here. You couldn't possibly talk too much. Uh, every time every time I listen to the recordings, I'm like, I said, um, like 37 times. That, that's amazing. So you were fine. I know you have that in my head. Now you have that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking part. Cool. Thanks, Aaron. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How We Interview podcast brought to you by Riambi. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.